Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 429. And when you're doing something for yourself or your best friend or family, you're not going to cheese out. If you don't love something, you're not going to go the extra mile. Work weekend, challenge the status quo as much. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabike dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost jump starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Nathan Mers. Nathan, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Absolutely. All right. Great to have you here. Nathan Mers is the owner and founder of Columbia Valerie Luxury Cars. Their mission is to offer only the finest European cars that customers can trust that are the best. Their areas of expertise include evaluating and assessing German and Italian marks and collector vehicle valuations. He was born and raised in the Pacific Northwest, but Nathan is a die-hard car guy who figured out how to wrap his passion for cars into his business. And one of his favorite quotes comes from Steve Jobs, I go the extra mile because it is what I love to do. I read that book as well. It's an awesome book. Nathan, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little bit more about your career and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Sure. I appreciate you having me on the show today. You're welcome. I think really what it boils down to for me is I'm that guy that a lot of car guys sort of hope they could be. You know, the the guy who has dreamed about cars since he was a little kid that um, has worked on them and bought and sold them and dreamed about them and read about them. And finally decided that maybe that was my life's calling. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I always tell people when you go to a, a dinner party or a cocktail party, you never want to tell someone you're a used car dealer. They, they move away very, very quickly. So, right. Yeah. Uh, when I, when I was in my twenties, I, I kind of wanted a job that was prestigious and that people thought was impressive. And you get to a certain point in your life and you're like, you know, that's not so important. What's important is waking up every day and doing something that you really love. Yes. And so I feel very blessed. That's what I get to do. And I have great friends and great customers. And it's just a joy to get to do it on, on a regular basis. So Absolutely. that's just kind of a little bit how I got here. Yeah, well, it's a great story. And it's what Cars Yeah is all about, is inspiring automotive enthusiasts. And I think what we're going to do today together is inspire some of those listeners out there that uh, may be successful in their career, but they wish they were having fun like you and me 
doing something around cars. So we'll learn a little bit more as we move through this journey. But first, I always like to start with a success quote. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. And it's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah. So Nathan, take the wheel. Well, the quote I really like, I like this for a couple of reasons. One, I, I really like the person who has the quote. Um, but two, I really think it, it fleshes out what it is that I'm about and what I'm trying to accomplish. And so I actually have this quote printed out on the bottom of my computer screen where I spent most of my day. And every time I write ad copy or, or speak to a customer, I always try to keep this in mind. And so this quote comes from Steve Isaacs or uh, Walter Isaacson's book about Steve Jobs. And it's kind of a lengthy quote, but it, it does sum up you know, what I'm all about. Awesome. And so Steve was talking about, you know, why was the iPod such a game changer? And why did the Microsoft Zoom player fail so miserably in the market? And he really talked about motivation. And so here's what he had to say. Steve said, the older I get, the more I see how motivations matter. The Zoom was crappy because the people at Microsoft don't really love music or art the way we do. We won because we personally love music. Mm-hmm. We made the iPod for ourselves. And when you're doing something for yourself or your best friend or family, you're not going to cheese out. Mm-hmm. If you don't love something, you're not going to go the extra mile. Work the weekend, challenge the status quo as much. And I just think that's a great quote because that's what I'm attempting to do. When you see a car that I have lifted, it's not just because I want to sell a car. It's not because I need to make my, my kid's college tuition payment. It's because I truly, truly am excited about what I'm offering. I think that's perfectly summed up in what, what Steve was doing with Apple. I mean, they had a passionate product. And you look at the iPod. Prior to the iPod, there was Walkmans. There was MP3 players. But that product absolutely turned the market because it spoke to the passion they had for the music and how they delivered that to the customer. Yeah, very well said. And it it really comes true. You know, many, many, many of the guests I've had here on Cars, yeah, it's exactly the same. You can hear the passion, the passion for what they're doing, their love for automobiles, their love for meeting people and learning about the stories of people behind the cars and vice versa. So uh, great quote. Definitely, we all know how well Apple has done. I've drank the apple juice many, many years ago and I'm surrounded by Apple products. Just bought my new Apple phone for Christmas. So uh, yeah, definitely a great quote to live by. I love that. Would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? I know that you've been a car guy forever and ever, but is there a pivotal moment in your life that you can remember when you really realized that you were a car guy? Like I told you earlier, you know, I, I sort of popped out as a car guy, you know, <laughs> uh, as, as, a, as a little boy, I remember, you know, you know, being out with friends and, you know, playing pickup football on the, on the recess playground and all those things. And the boys would be talking about, you know, baseball cards and, you know, stats on the World Series and typical, you know, young boys kind of talk. And in my head, I was always thinking about cars. You know, we'd be out on the playground and I'd be checking out the cars in the parking lot. Even as a little kid, one of my favorite things to do in a car, probably starting at the age of about kindergarten, is I had a real fascination with styling, you know, cars and being able to identify every car on the road. And so, obviously, nowadays our kids get to use a device in the car, which is kind of sad. But, you know, other than playing the old-fashioned license plate game, what do you do when you're driving to grandma's house? So, for me, it was always, can I identify every car that passes me? Mm. Do I know the year? Do I know the model? Do I know the color? You know, that was sort of my, my time passer, was just knowing what was, what was going past me and seeing what was interesting. 
then as I got a little bit older, once I sort of mastered everything that was driving down the road, then I thought, okay, now what I want to be able to do is at night. I want to be able to tell when, I, when cars approaching at 400 yards at night, by the shape of the headlights, I want to be able to name that car. <laughs> and um, I'm the same way with taillights. So uh, people make fun of me, but yeah, I'll see a car coming up or I have a bad habit. I drive a lot of, of calling 911 on, on drunk drivers. And they always laugh at me when I call 911 because I can usually tell them they'll make, model, year, license plate in the dark. <laughs> yeah. And they say, are, are you sure about what you're calling in? I said, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So it's a little bit useful. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. I'm laughing because there's a lot of my guests who've said the same thing, that they can recognize cars by their taillights, their headlights. And that's one of the many true signs of being a true car person. So great stories. I would love to crawl under the hood and talk a bit about a challenge or a failure. Would you share with us a, a huge career challenge, a huge career failure that you faced? Uh, but the most important part of this has to do with how did you overcome that situation? What did it teach you? You know, the funny thing is sometimes when you're facing a challenge, you don't even recognize how big the challenge is until you look back and, and have some retrospect on it. And so, you know, one of the big challenges that, that I had was I decided in early 2006 that I wanted to, to move into this business. I was a, a regional manager with a large pharmaceutical company and had a, a great job that I, I enjoyed. I enjoyed my people. I enjoyed the work. But long term, I could see that that wasn't my calling. Mm-hmm. And so I decided, hey, what I'd really like to be doing is in selling personalized and automotive culture. And so I'm an incessant planner by nature. I'm the guy who's got a spreadsheet to track my spreadsheet, spreadsheet. <laughs> and so I started planning. I started saying, what's this going to look like? And you know, what are the 77 things I need to have in place in order to make this leap? And, um, I'm a married guy. I've got four children. I've got a wife who stays home. And so I'm a sole uh, breadwinner in the family. And so I thought, what kind of responsible, yeah. Yeah, yeah, what kind of responsible guy quits his great corporate job with great benefits to go, you know, chase his childhood passion. And so I I started incessantly planning in 2006 and and I said, okay, you know, here's my drop dead date. It's, it's middle of uh, 2007. I've left my job, sold our home, moved. You know, launch the business and everything will be great. So for those of you who know dates in history, oh, gosh. you know that yeah. December of 2007 is a, is a pretty pivotal moment. So you can imagine with great fanfare, I opened my business in August of 2007, Ooh. selling luxury cars. So wow. at first I think, oh my gosh, this is going to be a walk in the park, you know, and I open in, I'm profitable my first month, and cars are whizzing off the shelf. Now, this so, is August of 07. We all know what happened in September. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So, uh, anyway, like I said, when you look back, sometimes you see what challenges you've had. And, and so, I think that the best thing for me about that experience was that, one, is the value of planning. You know, I had... I had a plan A, B, and a C, and we did have to deploy the B and C plans on, on several instances. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had very conservative plans about growth and capital and, and those kinds of things. But I think what it really taught me to be is be adaptable and be flexible and, you know, have faith in yourself and know that it's going to work if you execute on a plan and your plan is well thought out, well researched, and you do something well, mm-hmm. that'll work. And so, you know, I look back now and it's it's kind of funny because 
every sale and every opportunity was so hard fought. Mm-hmm. And now I almost feel guilty sometimes because, you know, my deals aren't as hard fought anymore. Um, partly because we're more established, but partly because just the general climate is easier and better. Right. And so to have had that experience, I think, um, I really value because now I think, okay, uh, if times are bad and we can be successful, imagine how good it can be when times are good. Oh, yeah. Well, to start a business during that time and survive, kudos to you, most definitely. And certainly those lessons were, as you say, incredibly valuable because you could carry those forward. And of course, now the car market is going crazy. And at some point, it'll take another dip. It could be a big one or a small one. We never know. That's just the way the market turns as the economy goes up and down. But uh, very cool story. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I always like to talk a bit about a career aha moment, a time when the headlights come on and illuminate your way for this new idea, this new direction you had. And perhaps you could tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into a success. Well, I, I think my aha moment happened fairly early in my life. I was about 13 years old, and I've always kind of had an entrepreneurial mind. And so I've always, you know, I've had a paper route since I was 10 years old, and I was always that kid. And um, because I loved cars, I was incessantly reading, you know, every car magazine in print, and I'd read the, the Sunday classifieds and just see what cars were selling for. And I quickly realized that most people really know very little about their cars, and they know very little how to sell their cars. Mm-hmm. And so even though I wasn't even old enough to have a driver's license, I, I, I recognized, I'd, I'd read, for example, the, the Seattle uh, Sunday Times, and I'd look through the classifieds. Back when the classifieds were a good, you know, 20-page section. And I realized, you know, people are trying to sell a car, and they're so worried about not spending, say, more than $20, they, they put three words in it. You know, they got the, the year, <laughs> the model, and the make, yeah. and a phone number. Uh-huh. And I thought, well, that's that's no way to sell a car. I mean, how can you capitalize on what's wonderful and great about that in, in, in two lines? And so what I started realizing is I could buy them in that venue at a discount because they weren't getting any activity, drag them home, fix a few things, polish them up, take a nice photo, write, you know, uh, what at the time I thought was excellent ad copy. I'd probably laugh at my ad copy now. <laughs> you were and learning. I would put them in. I would put them in Auto Trader back when Auto Trader was a magazine. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, I can get 50 words. So I became a master of abbreviations yep. and taking a nice photo. And I also figured out that a Sunday paper, you could buy them on Sunday. The Auto Trader cut off with Wednesday, and then they would run starting the next Sunday. Nice inventory really turns. Good, <laughs> I could get my inventory sold that, that following week. And nice. so. Um, yeah, I started buying uh, older Volkswagens because I knew how to work on them. And so, believe it or not, I'd have times where I'd, I'd recruit my mom or my dad to go down and drive it back because I couldn't even drive it. <laughs> Very nice. But I figured out, hey, this is how I'm going to pay for college. And so, uh, yeah. I actually bought my first Porsche with proceeds buying and selling old Volkswagens. So, wow. that's kind of what got me started. And the funny thing is, Fast forward 30 years, and essentially I'm doing the same thing. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You came full circle back to your passion, and if you really widen that circle, you came back to your passion as a little boy for cars. So, you know, it's funny how it all comes back. I always say that when we're real little, we pick things that we're passionate about. If someone says when you're little, what do you want to be, an astronaut, a race car driver, a fireman, well... That's where your true passion really lies. But, of course, life comes along and changes everything, and we get more practical and realistic. And 
we lose that passion, but it's fun to see that you've uh, found it again and come back full circle. I like that. Very nice. How about proudest career moments? I would assume you've had many, but is there one in particular that you could share with us? I have one that is, I enjoy because I, I get to have this moment once a year. This moment is because, like I told you, I'm, I'm a uh, I'm an analyst, I'm a planner, I'm the guy with the Excel spreadsheet. So one of the things that I do every year between Christmas and New Year's is I take that slow time to just really reflect and, and think about you know, how did our year go, you know, what went well, what things didn't go so well, you know, what do we want to do in the, in the upcoming year. And we really just do that sort of business planning. And It's a classic problem entrepreneurs sometimes have. It's if you're so busy working in your business, you don't work on your business. Oh, yes. And so for me, that's the time to sit down and, and do that process. And, and one of my favorite exercises that I do is I look at uh, all the sales I had in the previous year and I put them in buckets based upon uh, where that customer came from, meaning were they a repeat customer, were they a referral customer, were they a lead off of AutoTrader or Cars.com, were they someone that I met at a, at a club event, or maybe I, I led a tech session and, and I met them there. And so... You know, where, where's, what's the source of that customer? And mm-hmm. so one of the things that I'm just incredibly proud of is, you know, in 2015, you know, we've, we've watched this trend, but when I looked at the, the aggregate numbers for 2015, 78% of my sales in 2015 were either repeat or referral customers. Nice. Um, if you look at industry metrics, they're typically single digit percentages. Mm-hmm. The, the industry model is that our, our, our car buying experience is so bad, you better make all your money on that first sale because they're never coming back. <laughs> yes, yes. Right? Uh-huh. We've all been there, right? Oh, yeah. So, you know, for my customers to not only buy one, two, three, four, five, ten cars from me, but to send their, their friends, their family, their mother-in-law, whoever really says something that we're actually accomplishing what it is that our mission set out to be. Mm-hmm. So that's something I'm, I'm really proud of. Most definitely. It, just, it, it sort of proves the point, I guess, that we're, we're accomplishing what I wanted to do because that was the big thing when we, when I was thinking about this back in 2006, I told my wife, I said, what I want to do, the experience I want to create, the feel that I want my customers to have, if we can do that and we can do it successfully enough that my children don't starve, <laughs> then we'll, we'll continue to operate. But if for whatever reason, you know, the industry standard practices prove to be industry standard practice because they're the only way you can succeed, then I'll simply shut my doors. I just don't want to operate in that business model. Right. And so it's fun to see that, yes, you can run it the way you want, the way you would want the experience to be, and yet still find it to be successful. Yeah, so, great. Well, very worthy of being proud of that figure and for having been in business now for four or five years or so to be able to have that kind of record running is um, quite admirable and what every company would love to have. And quite frankly, it's what every company needs to be striving to do. Most definitely, it's always less expensive to keep customers than to acquire new customers. Most definitely. I know that metric very, very well. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special vehicle? That vehicle that you just went, man, I finally got it. I finally got it. It could have been your first car, but maybe it was something different. Yeah, this one's actually one that will probably surprise a lot of uh, a lot of the listeners. 
um, because anyone who knows me knows my my true deep down passion is Porsche. Mm-hmm. If you come out to my garage, it's heavily littered with Porsche. That's kind of my <laughs> shit. And uh, I like a lot of other uh, unusual cars as well. But Porsche is kind of the mainstay in my garage. And so I think everyone would expect that my favorite car, my most important car, uh, would be a Porsche. And surprisingly, it's not. It's something that you'll never see for sale on my website. A brand you probably won't ever see on my website. But why it's you know, kind of the car that means everything to me is the, the connection I have to it personally. So okay. my favorite car, I still own it. It's a 1966 Ford F100. Um, it's just your basic two-wheel drive work truck edition, step side, 352 big block, three speed on the tree. And the reason I love this particular truck is that it belongs to my grandfather. Ah, there so, you go. And my grandfather is someone that I look to a lot for you know, who I am as a person and what sort of values that I represent and uh, how I live my life. And, mm-hmm. and he's your classic guy. If you've ever read the book, The Greatest Generation by Tom Brokaw. Yes. It's a great book because I, I swear to God, I thought Tom Brokaw just interviewed my grandpa and wrote a book. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, he was raised on a farm in South Dakota, served in World War II, you know, has a sixth grade education, uh, worked as a foreman in a tool and die factory. So it's just your very typical lower middle class, blue collar guy, but absolutely one of the classiest, smartest people you ever meet. And so yes. growing up as a kid, Grandpa always had this truck, and so we would take it, you know, fishing or uh, out camping. And as a little kid, I loved sitting in that truck because, it, you know, you know, when you're six years old, I thought the hood was about 12 feet wide, and of course, you're only you know, four feet tall. So <laughs> sitting in that bench seat next to Grandpa, I was always convinced that he was driving over both lanes. Hey, Grandpa, you know, you got to get in your lane. <laughs> and um, so fast forward to I was about uh, 16 years old, and, and Grandpa, who, of course, great generation, very frugal finally decided to buy himself a new truck. So I, I called him and I said, Grandpa, I said, I would like that truck. Mm-hmm. So he says to me, he says, oh, that truck's not safe. It's junk. You know, you don't want that. I'm going to trade it in. So I remember being very, very heartbroken. So he calls me the next day and he says, oh, I was just kidding with you. Come down and get it. Oh, gosh. Thanks so I, a lot, Gramps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I went down to Portland, Oregon, and I drove back up to Seattle. And that truck still sits in my garage. Very nice. Uh, it's a truck that I'll pass down to my kids. And recently, in February of this year, my grandfather passed away. Mm, I'm sorry. I always jokingly told him that. I said, Grandpa, I'm taking him to the cemetery in this truck. And so, sure enough, we uh, loaded his ashes up and we drove him to the cemetery in that truck. Wow, nice. It was just a, a great time and a connection. Yes. And I think that it's the thing with cars is that ultimately the car isn't so much the important part. It's the... Uh, the connection and the memory and the experience that you share with others. Oh, yes. Uh, that's that's what makes something special. Absolutely. Well, he sounds like a wonderful man. And I love those trucks because they had a, a bit of a stance of kind of lurching forward, if you will. They were starting to kind of lean the grill out a little bit. And is his truck or your truck now, is it a two-tone or single-tone? What color is it? No, because, again, my being the greatest generation, he was as cheap as cheap could be. So... This truck has exactly three options on it. It has the big block motor. It has a cigar lighter and a single visor. No radio, um, just a bare painted metal interior. Uh-huh. And um, that's kind of what's beautiful about it. You know, manual steering, manual brakes, manual choke. Yeah. And the silly truck never stops running. I mean, that's the funny part about it. You know, it's it sort of, that's also sort of the beauty. It's 
America kind of at its finest hour and the build quality of that truck, you know, while certainly the gaps aren't good, you know, like they would be on a Porsche or something, but just the fact that 50 years later, I could go out to that car, the truck right now and it'll start on the first turn of the yeah. season. What color is it? It's Wimbledon white. Ah, yes. You know? Okay. So awesome. I'm sure that was a free color. You know, grandpa wouldn't have paid for it. <laughs> yeah. One of the, color. one <laughs> of the stock colors. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Wonderful story. Thanks for sharing that with us. Now, how about a vehicle that you've let go that you really wish you had back in the garage? And, and this, I want to preface this by not so much the value, but it's more an emotional tie to that vehicle. You know, this is a tough one for me because I deal with this very question on a daily basis mm-hmm. because you know, one of my core values is that I won't, I won't buy or sell a car that I personally wouldn't want to own. So if I don't personally have a passion for something, you won't see it represented for sale on my site. Mm, nice. And so I have, I kind of mentally have a hat I'll take on and take off, which says, uh, hobby, you know, on one hat and the other one says business. Mm-hmm. And I always have to keep that in mind because on an almost daily basis, I get offered a car that I think, man, that is a car I'd like to keep. <laughs> and so it's always a tough balancing act to say which ones uh, do you keep and, and which ones do you, do you not. And so one of the funny things that I did is I actually sort of developed a matrix that said, you know, if I'm going to keep a car personally, you know, it has to meet certain criteria. And, and it's kind of a funny way to look at it, mm-hmm. but it's a, it's a way of kind of sorting them out. Because, yeah, I, I look back and, and there's so many cars that, I, that have passed through here that I think, you are a fool to sell that car, you know. But, but well, you are in also, the business after all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't I mean, keep them all. Those, I mean, those ones move the business forward, and he, yeah, it's, it's hard to dwell on some of those things. But you know, on a personal level, the the one car that I had that probably, you know, if I ever get the opportunity to buy it back, and I actually know where this car is at, is it's an '86 32 Carrera M491 car. Hmm. And it's white, and it's a car that I I had probably in my early 20s. And um, it was probably my first really nice Porsche. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my first Porsche, I'd be embarrassed if you saw it, but it was you know, paid for by, again, buying it on Volkswagen. But this 491, you know, we, we put a, a 964 base 3.6 in there, and we put the uh, 3.8 P's and C's in it and put a short ring and pinion and, and put a set of, Recaro's in it and sixty wheels and did all the stuff that you, know, you would have done at that time period. Mm-hmm. And um, the car was just a just a monster, and it was just everything I wanted in there. Cool, not wanting to be. And I sold that car uh, mostly because at that time in my life it probably represented thirty or forty, fifty percent of my net worth, which obviously wasn't much at the time. So yeah. you know, it probably didn't feel very responsible, and, and parlayed that money into a home for my family. But yeah. The funny thing is I, I, I see that car around Seattle every so often and friends of mine will send me pictures or a text from the day I saw your old car. And I finally had to tell one of my friends, please stop. <laughs> yes. One, because you're killing me. And, <laughs> and two, the, the gentleman who owns it, God bless him. He's probably loving it and enjoying it, but he's not my personality type. The car is, is not looking quite as proud as it once did. And so... Yeah, it's a little bit of a knife is a heart every time I see that come up. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Well, we all have those stories, and uh, perhaps someday you'll have a chance to uh, have that old gal back. But um, wonderful story. I love it. Now, we're into the new year here. Uh, what What is happening with your business this year that really has you excited and fired up? Are there any new projects you're working on, new things you're going to be doing? Yeah, I mean, probably one of the things I'm, I'm 
most excited about is, you know, finally about a year ago, I decided that I field so many phone calls from people, you know, asking about you know, the Porsche market and you know, what's my car worth and should I buy this car or that car? Get out your crystal ball and, and tell me, you know, what you think the market's going to do. And <laughs> and so I thought, you know, it'd be a lot more efficient than having you know, several hundred phone calls individually. That you know, maybe I'll step out in the community and, and give some presentations on that. And so over the last year, I've given several presentations with various PCA groups about you know, what the market is doing and where it's going and what to look for when buying a car. And, and that's been a lot of fun. And so what I've got coming up that I'm really excited about, I'm getting one presentation here locally in Seattle, actually just coming Saturday at the Lake Washington Institute of Technology. So that one will be fun. But in June, I'm actually going to be doing the um, technical education piece at Porsche Parade in Vermont. Oh, nice. Cool. So... For anyone who's going to parade, you'll have the opportunity to hear me speak in person and we'll talk specifically about that. And so I'm very excited about that opportunity to just meet people at a larger level mm-hmm. and share my knowledge and enthusiasm with them. And then the other thing that it's allowing me to do is it's forcing me to get off my uh, my behind a little bit. I've got a, a car that's been a back burner project for the better part of two years. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to go all the way to Vermont, I'm going to bring a Porsche with me. Of course. And so, so <laughs> several of my cars I've shown at parade before, and I thought, I don't want to be that guy who only shows the same car. So I thought, you know what? I've got to get this car completed in time to take it in June. And so what I'm going to be taking is a, it's a 93 RS America. Ooh, cool. It's a, it's a very, very nice car, 20,000 original mile car. Wow. I've decided to go outside my box. And typically, I, I like to show cars in preservation. I'm kind of a purist. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I've got enough all original pristine cars that it would be fun to do one that really represents who I am and, and what I'm excited about. And so I won't spill the beans as to what exactly we're going to do, but this car, I'm going to show this car probably in preparation. And we're we're not going to go down the soft path with it. So we'll make some changes to make it a little bit more my style. And um, so I'm pretty excited about that. Process. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Getting it all dialed in and and putting sort of my stamp on the car. Very cool. Can't wait to see what you come up with. We'll keep our, our eyes open for those folks going to parade. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see what you arrive with. And here's a very introspective question for you, Nathan. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? And this isn't about what you want to be. It's about how you really perceive yourself manifested into an automobile. Yeah, it's kind of a fun question. You know, I for me... Cars do represent a lot of personality traits. That's that's probably uh, something I need to see a therapist about. But I, I do see personality <laughs> traits in cars, right? Many of us car people do. Of course do. we do, yeah. And you also see them a little bit of a reflection of yourself. You know, it's you can almost make a judgment or some uh, placement of someone just by knowing what they drive. It says a lot about their thought process and what they value and, and those kinds of things. And I think the car that I, that I identify with most strongly, it's also a Porsche, um, is a Porsche 964. Okay. And I have a particular passion for the 964. I own several of them. And I think one of the things that I like about the 964 is that it's, it's an evolution of the traditional 911. And the, the beauty to me of the original 911 is it was a car designed by engineers for me. It's just the thought process that went into building that car and the, the energy and the emotion. Everything about the car just speaks to me. Mm-hmm. 
And I sort of like the 954 because it's everything that they learned and it was the first kind of wholesale update of that car, but yet they, they stuck with the traditional design keys, the typical upright fender. And so it's a car that it's traditional yet evolutionary. So I, I kind of identify with that. It's conservative. It's classic, you know, it doesn't go in or out of style. It just sort of is. The other thing with that car is I would, if it were me, it would be a, you know, kind of a discreet color. You know, I'm kind of a silver on black 964 kind of guy mm-hmm. simply because I'm not loud or flashy or brash. I'm just, you know, I try to think that I'm, I'm authentic and I'm real and I'm genuine and conservative. And so that car is a car that car people might you know, think is a great car, but I'm not going to stand out in the crowd. <laughs> so, nice. yeah. Yeah. Great choice. Well, I, I love those cars. I had one for a long time. I first moved up here to the Pacific Northwest some 22, 23 years ago. I brought one from Southern California and it was my daily driver. It was a great car. And after I sold it, I just for a long time, even now, wish I could have it back because it was such a, a great car. A friend of mine, Ed, who's listening, I'm sure today. Hello, Ed. Shout out to you. Bought that car. And even after he let it go, he just kind of went, oh, I should have never let that car go. So it was a very highly optioned 964 that I bought from a, a young owner. And, uh, yeah, it was a great car. There's another backstory to that, but someday when we have time over a, a coffee or a beer, I'll tell you more about it. So Nathan, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsor. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. All right, Nathan, we are back and we're entering the last lap. And this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? I am. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Buy the seller, not the car. (laughs) I like that. I like that. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has helped contribute to your success in your business? I think probably the single biggest one is I'm, I'm an incessant reader, much to my wife's chagrin. I'm <laughs> always reading and learning. There you go. Constant learning. Nothing wrong with that. Do you have a resource that you think our listeners would really enjoy? You know, not one in particular because it's going to depend on the person, but my biggest resource, I think the most valuable thing that has come about in the last 15 years is get involved in your online community for whatever genre mm. you know, you're into. Yeah. Just an unbelievable resource of information, be it on Porsche or old Chevrolets or early V8 Fords. There's, there's a group of people online and they'll share their knowledge and information freely. Just a great, great opportunity. Oh, definitely. Clubs and forums are awesome. How about a book? Is there one book in particular that you think the Cars Yeah listeners would really enjoy reading? Well, it's the one from my quote. You know, I just really enjoy the book, uh, Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson. Yeah, awesome book. I love that book. My son bought it first and read it and said, Dad, you got to read this book. (laughs) Yeah, it's a huge book, but very interesting insights into uh, 
incredibly insightful, uh, successful gentleman in business and uh, mark and brand. So wonderful. Well, I'll remind our listeners, you can find all these resources at carsyad.com slash Nathan Mertz. Nathan's last name is spelled M-E-R-Z, Mers, not Fred and Ethel, as we talked about at the beginning of the show in our pre-show chat. But uh, just type in Nathan into the search bar and his show notes page will pop up along with this book reference with a quick, easy click to buy. All right, Nathan, we are up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy, especially for a guy like you that has cars loves cars, has seen a lot of cars. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the price because today I'll buy you whatever you'd like. What would that one vehicle be and why? Well, Mark, you and I might share the same car. So <laughs> I have a feeling I, I know what this might be, but let's see. Yeah. So if I could have my ideal car, it would be a 1971 911S Coupe in Tangerine, Ugh. and it would look mostly stock, but it'd have a hot rod 2.9 with high butterflies and wild cans and high compression. Yeah. Um, set of seven R's on the rear, a little through the grill fogs up front, mm-hmm. and just enough patina that I felt like, you know, I can go out and just flog this thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, awesome choice, and I love that color, those 70s colors, tangerine, you know, viper, emerald green, viper green. I mean, all those colors are so fantastic, but I love tangerine. So you've picked a car that's near and dear to my heart, and I love the fact that you take it out and drive it. It's not a garage queen. Uh, I love that aspect about you as well. Nathan, you have taken me on a great ride today. I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed your stories, and I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yow listeners and with me. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you take off down that mountain road? in your Porsche 911S? I think the, the parting advice I'd give anybody, whether it be cars or anything, is live your passion. Today is the only day you're guaranteed, so you better be doing something that you love. <laughs> Absolutely. And even today is not a guarantee. So do yep. what you love. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your business? Uh, certainly. They can find my business online if you just simply Google Columbia Valley Luxury Cars. Our web address is just cvluxurycars.com, or certainly they can find us on Facebook under Columbia Value Luxury Cars as well. Perfect. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything Nathan's been so kind to share today on his show notes page at carsyeah.com. Just type Nathan into the search bar and everything will pop up with quick, easy links. Check him out. Like him on Facebook so you can follow what he's doing. Do you also have an um, email subscriber list so that uh, we can learn more about cars that flow through your shop? Absolutely. If you go on my site, there's a link in there. You can subscribe to my email newsletter. Perfect. Well, I already knew the answer to that, but I wanted to make sure our listeners knew that as well because it's really fun to see the cars that are coming through your shop and tease us a little bit when you have something new to offer for us. So we appreciate that. Nathan, thank you for being so generous today with your time and your expertise. I want to thank you for sharing your experiences with me and with the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for uh, having me on the show. It was a great pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.